everyone, welcome to the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and I've pulled together some of the greatest minds from around the globe to help inspire you to release your own brilliance into the world. Whether we are talking to entrepreneurs, business owners, or just some all-round awesome people, I can guarantee these conversations will help you start thinking about how you can create more impact in the work that you do. A mix of incredible interviews and my own personal musings, join me from wherever you are to begin the journey to unleashing your own brilliance into the world. Hi, my name is Janine Garner and welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. On today's episode, I am having a conversation with the incredible Mari Burgess. Mari, Mari's work is all about supporting leaders and teams to fundamentally create cultures that people want to be part of, but also cultures where those individuals are performing at their best and where the teams are performing at their best. She spent the last 30 years working with numerous leaders and teams and organizations across Australia, ultimately helping them communicate more effectively to get the results that they're looking for. But she's not always been in this line of work, and you'll hear a little bit about this in today's conversation. She started life as a registered nurse working at a major trauma hospital in Melbourne. And she shares that that career began pretty much because it was expected that as a daughter in her family, somebody should go into nursing. But she shares how she moved from nursing into a role in banking and how over the next 17 years, she learned a lot about behavior and decided to build expertise in this area of behavioral consultant, equipping herself with the resolve and the knowledge to connect and inspire any mix of people. Now she's one of Australia's leading coaches. She is passionate about lifelong learning, and she's constantly developing expertise in her area of obsession. And that obsession really is about the potential that exists in everybody. Perfect, right, for this podcast about unleashing brilliance. She's also the author of multiple books. And what I love about her latest book, Level Up, how managers learn to do less and be more is all of the frameworks and tools and discussions that she shares in here. Her argument is that you need to learn to lead at the right level and you need to actually level up your own leadership. And we talk a lot in this podcast about how you can become a memorable manager, someone that people remember, someone that people talk about in the future, about the impact that you have had on their career and their life decisions. Enjoy this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Hello, Mari. Welcome to my podcast. How are you today? Oh, hi, Janine. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, actually. I'm quite happy that finally the rain seems to have stopped in Sydney and I can see a little bit of blue sky. Where am I speaking to you from today? So I'm in sunny, although it's not sunny at the moment, sunny St Kilda, so Melbourne, Victoria. Oh, what a great part of the world. Very eclectic St Kilda, isn't it? And that's not far from the beach either. 
And I walk on the beach every day. It's gorgeous. Oh, lovely. Now, I'm super excited about today's conversation for a couple of reasons. One is that we have known each other or been in each other's worlds for a very long time in terms of how we've both developed our own businesses and our, our own IP. And so it's all, it's been a, a really awesome to get to know more of you over these last couple of years as we've been on the same stages or been in the same tra- training room. So that's super exciting. The second reason is I just love your latest book, which we'll come on to, Level Up. And the third thing is I find your backstory really fascinating. It's always the case, isn't it, that you you hang out with people, you work with people, you're in the same room as people. And yet it's only when you get that moment to really listen to their backstory that you go, oh, this makes sense. This Mm -hmm. makes sense. So I'm super excited to share a little bit about where you've come from. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to start start there, Mari. You know, in terms of our listeners who are listening in from around the world, can you paint a little bit of picture about, about you? Where did it all start? Where, where was childhood? Where did you grow up? Give me a little yeah. bit of backstory about where you grew up. Yes. So, well, yes, it's a pretty eclectic backstory. I grew up on a farm in regional New South Wales here in Australia. I'm the youngest of four children. I've got two older brothers and an older sister. And I basically was just a rural kid until I moved to the Big Smoke to start my nursing career, which quickly morphed into a banking career. And then that morphed into me starting my own business back in 2003. All right. So let's let's go back. Nursing, banking, own business, right? Let's see if we can connect the dots here. What made you go into nursing for a start? Where did yeah. that first career decision come so, from? So I've got an elder sister. My mum was a nurse. And my dad, very traditional guy on a farm running, you know, a pretty major business, wanted one of his girls to be a nurse. And my older sister, being the oldest, jumped in straight away and said, no, that's not going to be me. And so I just assumed from a very young age that I was going to end up in nursing. Wow. Yeah. And so... Can you, you know, going back there, how long were you in nursing for, Mari? So back in, so this is a long time ago. Back in those days, it was hospital-based training and it was three years. And then you were supposed to consolidate your learning by doing what they used to call a staffing year at your training hospital. I didn't quite do my staffing year. Is that when you moved into banking? Yes. So what was the turning point there? What made you go from that established or expected to career into banking some would some could say it's like almost other side of the spectrum in terms of the work that you were doing well for me it was for the first like well not for the first time because it really was my first career when I looked around the hospital I was in and went well what's the career progression in nursing and all I could see the career progression was the administrative senior staff were called grey ladies because they used to wear grey uniforms around everywhere and I went well what's the point of becoming a grey lady when I'm loving the patient care and they didn't have any patient contact so the little light bulbs went on there I was terrified of doctors because they would yell at you or, you know, it was so easy to make a mistake and they were very intimidating, very status-driven back then. Keep in mind that we worked in starched uniforms, so we were treated quite poorly. Anyway, so I decided to take some 12 months off. I had a long holiday. I thought I'll take 12 months off, then I'll come back and do my staffing year. 
And I'd had a little taste of office work in a gap year before I came nursing, so in a regional town. So I understood a little bit about offices. I could type a little bit. And I picked up a job in a small finance company where he just needed someone to man his front desk and he didn't mind if I sat there reading and knitting. So it was sort of ideal as far as taking time off. And he just kept giving me opportunity after opportunity and trained me up in finance and I was leasing prestige motor vehicles and we had a big portfolio. So there was never a reason to go back to nursing because I loved it. Yeah. What is it that you loved about nursing it was the pa- it was people right it was the people yeah it was and the what- patients and the families and building those relationships yeah and then in terms of the business world the banking world can you see was there a connection there was it still linked to people that you were doing uh, or not so much to start with that probably came in later I just that's when I developed my thirst of learning that's when I realized I loved learning new things even I, I've still got if I got it here I've still got my trusty HP 12c calculator <laughs> that my boss taught me to use so I could work out re- lease repayments and balloon payments and all of that sort of stuff so it was this there was just a big learning opportunity for me and I love that so not so much people but lots mm. of learning mm. And so how long were you in banking for? A lot of years. I was in banking. I was in banking for about 20 years. Cool. And can you remember what your parents said when you left nursing to go into banking? Oh, well, bless them. They didn't really, I can't remember them saying anything really. They just went along with it. So, and I think because I enjoyed it so much, I was learning so much, I was on a quite a career progression because then I got absorbed into a big bank and there was lots of opportunities there. So I think they're a bit chuffed in a way because back in those days it was either nursing, teaching or banking is the careers you could choose. So I guess I made them happy because I chose the second major career for women back then. So nursing to banking and a quite solid career in banking, what, what then made you move from banking into your own business? Yeah. So uh, I love your podcast being called, you know, uh, you know, Unleashing Brilliance because what I found was part of my brilliance is I can find anything in any role or any job that I have that I love. And so that keeps me in the job, but it's also a bit of a drawback because I can stay places too long. So when I was banking, again, because of the nature of banking, there's so much choice for what you do in banking, lots of job opportunities, lots of, again, learnings that I could always find stuff that I loved. And that's why I stayed in it for so long until I had young children. I was working part-time and back then part-time was treated completely differently. People couldn't see how anyone could do a real job part-time, all of that sort of stuff. And so my boss, who was lovely, couldn't quite work out how to tap into my brilliance. And so I ended up very much in a dead-end role, no contact with people, no stakeholders, no clients. So I lost all that people contact. And for the first time in my career, I wasn't having a good time. So I took a redundancy. Again, back in the days, they're celebrated now, but back then if you it, it, it stained your name if you were made redundant. And I just set up my own, I did some coaching courses and set up my own business. Mm. 
Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember? I'm imagining you were excited, but equally what other emotions were going on? Because we can all have goals and dreams and decide we're going to set something up. And you and I probably work with many people that have this dream to create something for their own. But those people that actually do versus those that don't, there are some subtle differences. Can you remember how you felt back then? Was it almost like you had no choice because you'd been made redundant or was it desire-based, dream-based to run your own show? I think I was incredibly naive. Mm. And also coaching was relatively new. Mm. Not many people had heard of it. and But I had a safety net because once I'd left the bank that I was in, a girlfriend that I'd had worked for in the past, she needed someone part-time to support her in her role. So for the first eight months of my business, I had a two day a week job that basically covered all of my expenses. So it was almost like no, no risk. And so I didn't have any thought of failing. I didn't have a business plan, which became very clear when the GFC hit. And so it was just fun, again, fun. You know, I was also learning stuff. I was doing different courses, upskilling. So it was all tick, 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 having a good time. Mm, I love it. And you, your career since has absolutely seen you, this love of learning continue. And what I love about the work that you do now is you're almost going back to those roots of working with people in organizations to help them level up, which happens to be the title of your latest book, Level Up, How Managers Learn to Do Less and to Be More. If we think about Unleashing Brilliance and we think about your latest book, if there was was one thing that for you is critical to individuals unleashing brilliance, what would that be? What springs to mind for you, particularly thinking about the work that you do and the people that you serve? Look, what's the one thing? I definitely, I think awareness has to come into play. Even that awareness of, because the people I work with are usually so overwhelmed or so busy that there's no time to even think about what's going on or how that's impacting their life. And so even having that awareness that it doesn't need to be like that, which then requires a complete belief change stuff. But for a lot, and a lot of the people I work with, particularly one-on-one women, for no reason, it's just that they're the ones I seem to be drawn to, particularly for coaching. Confidence is probably the number one thing, but that could be confidence that they can change things or confidence that they are capable. So confidence can, you know, appear in different ways. So let's talk about that for a second. So there's two things there that you've touched on where you're basically saying that individuals who are overwhelmed with making choices, potentially these two things are connected in that it fuels a lack of confidence, how that impacts their ability to step into their brilliance. From what you're seeing, what is the negative? So when people stay in that space of overwhelm, of we were talking offline, off air about a client that's a current client that's approached me that's needing some help. Like she's got this, she's smart, she's clever, and and she's got this new job, and it's like ah, overwhelm. Where do I start? What are you seeing as the biggest impacts in organisations right now when individuals do get caught up in that overwhelm, which then subsequently fuels yeah. that lack of confidence? What's the knock-on yeah. impact? 
there's what will happen with people is they get promoted because they're exceptional at whatever they do so in case of the person we were, we're talking about the really clever person they get promoted or they're given a team to manage because they are incredible at what they do one of the biggest problems is that when people get promoted they're promoted because they're good at what they used to do and they're usually a technical expert and whether that's accounting or whether that's you know being a doctor or or anything like that there's a, they've got a specialist field in some way and they get promoted they're given a team but people who and I call these middle managers regardless of what organization they're part of they aren't actually taught how, rarely taught how to manage people just assume that it, that it's going to happen and so they become they're already perfectionists because they're very good at what they do. They possibly a little harder on their team because they're expecting the same level of expertise. They're trying to do everything because they don't want to fail. So there's a lot of doubt around making sure they prove that they're worthy of this promotion. So the biggest problem is is watching a team then flounder, their team flounder because they're being micromanaged or maybe they're being bullied even though I reluctantly use that word because mm. the leader is oh, so I'm sure to, there are to, so many of our listeners right succeed. now that, can, that are either there right now having been promoted and they haven't been given the skills to lead or manage or I look back at the early days of my career and that's exactly what happened to me promoted because I was good at my job and I was getting results but I actually don't remember ever receiving any leadership training during my career you're almost people are just sort of learning on the go aren't they just trying to work it out and often they're the ones that suffer as an individual you're suffering and the team well yeah and we've got the compounding effect this year that there's so much movement Mm. and they're calling it the great resignation and I'm still looking for that evidence but we've got so much movement of people changing roles or even leaving paid employment setting up their own business that it's even more important that organisations go, how do we keep people? Because it's so expensive to recruit and fill roles. So, yeah, they really do need to start addressing how to teach managers how to So lead. from your experience and from what you've seen and, and the people that you've worked with, when it comes to helping those middle managers level up or helping anyone actually level up to both bring out the best in themselves, the brilliance in themselves and the brilliance in their teams. What are some of your thoughts? What are some of the suggestions and ideas that you share with people? Yeah. So the probably the first place I go with, with people who are perhaps in overwhelm or not sure how to manage or anything like that is is I'm taking wanting to take them from doubt to conviction because they've got a lot of doubt about their ability to manage and everyone wants to be a memorable manager. We all have got memorable managers in our past that stretched us and taught us and we look back on fondly. And so if we step into a manager role, we want to be that memorable manager. And so what I focus on there, as I said at the start, is awareness, helping them understand what who they are and what's preventing them from stepping into this role. The other one is how they're communicating because so often people communicate and the message is is lost so how to communicate with impact and the third area I look at initially is what's their mindset and this then when we look at limiting beliefs why aren't they tapping into their team what do they believe about leading a team and all of that sort of stuff so there's like this foundation layer to go who are you so are you inspired to step up to take massive action in your own business maybe you're feeling like the world's best kept secret and a little bit invisible right now Or maybe you're frustrated at your lack of progress and want to win more at work and succeed more in life. 
Maybe it's about being ready to welcome more sales and more profit finally into your business. If you're interested in finding out more about my work, check me out on all the usual social platform suspects or email me at support at and let's set up a time to chat about how I can help you. Where Have you got an example of something that you've worked with or even in your own experience, Mara, let's go to your own experience where you went, oh my God, I looking back, I've made so many mistakes as we all do. And how through this knowledge that you've had, it's almost like the proof is there in the, put, in the pudding that the more awareness that you have, the better you become at communicating and the mindset that you have, you can bring out the best in the people around you. Have you got an example of where that happened in your world? Look, I think it really happened for me when, so I'd been in business for, had my own business for several years. We came into the the GFC and that's when I realised I didn't have a business plan. So my business actually failed. And I stepped back into corporate on a contract and became part of a team that just weren't functioning. And because I'd spent years talking about creating these functioning teams, it was driving me crazy about working out why isn't this working. And the light bulb moment came on when we realised as a team that there were two people in the team that had massive distrust between each other. And so that then led me to go, well, what makes a highly functioning team? And it does. You've got to start with awareness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have you got an example of a greatest failure when it comes to managing teams? Where looking back again, you go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Knowing what I know now and seeing the impact that approaching these things differently has It's almost like if you could go back in time, you wish you couldn't do that again. Have you got an example of that? Because I think it's always uh, really interesting for people to hear the stuff that doesn't work because I know most of us go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I actually did that looking back. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I'm going to go back to actually that same team where there were two people in distrust that on the surface, and I wasn't leading this team, I was part of this team, but on the surface we're doing everything right. We're having a weekly team meeting We'll even, and every fortnight we'd even get together for 90 minutes or two hours and do a bit of development so we'd bring something to teach the rest of the team. So when you look at it from the outside, you go, that team's amazing, you know, stretching themselves. But all we want to do is poke our eyes out with a sharp pencil because we hated these meetings so much. They just were not functioning. And so doing something just because it's the right thing to do doesn't necessarily mean it's the most or it's the best thing for that team. And because most of us, because I was new, this, a lot of these people had been together for a while, I was oblivious to the fact that there was a lot of hate going on with a couple of people because they papered over it. And really that was my realisation that the leader actually needed to be way more active than they had been. So that was a wake-up call for me. It all starts with who's leading this team and what are they doing to help this team perform the best. So on the one hand I'm working with leaders a lot but it's all to get the best out of this team. I love that. So thinking about that, I know you've talked about the awareness and the communication and the mindset. Why, and you just touched on it there, it's about getting the best out of the team. What is the result? So we talk a lot, I talk a lot about unleashing individual brilliance and the importance of self-leadership. What I love about what you've just said there, Mari, is how important it is because of the ripple effect it can have on people around them. What are some of the things that you have seen 
in terms of positive results when managers and leaders start doing this work, start understanding how they're getting in the way of their team's brilliance. What are some of the results that you've seen? So I have a a case study with a very senior leader of a luxury brand who we started working together as they were being promoted into this senior role from within the team that they had been part of and totally suffering overwhelm. Perfectionist, complete perfectionist, trying to do everything, taking back work off the team, literally breaking all the rules of of how to manage a team because they were so desperate to succeed. They wanted to feel that it was justified that they'd been promoted for a whole range of reasons. So there was a lot of doubt, you know, and lack of belief. And even though she was exceptional, she. And so watching her literally over the course of eight months transform from, in her words, zero out of 10 in terms of how well she could even delegate work to her team. She just had no delegation skills to them becoming a 10 out of 10. And what that did was totally lift her confidence, but it absolutely helped build that self-belief within the team that this person that had been their team member was now leading them and was actually doing a really great job. They were shooting the lights out in terms of performance. It was in the midst of COVID, so their whole sales were supposed to totally plummet and they outperformed any other team in that organisation. So she totally turned it around. So she became somebody that other people were inspired to work with and for and became that leader that others wanted to follow, which ultimately if we're going to get the results that we need in this crazy world that we're now living in where we're having to think outside the box we're having to do things differently sometimes we're having to make decisions about things that we've got absolutely no experience of ultimately we have to know that the people around us are part of that team that they're going to do the work that's needed that's incredible if you could pinpoint you know two two things if you could if you had the well you're now speaking to an audience of thousands as a result of this podcast and I'm, I have no doubt that there are people listening that are going oh my god that's me I'm so overwhelmed with my workload right now I'm trying because I do believe people are trying but they can see that there's more potential they can see that there's more brilliance both for themselves and their team if you could leave like just three snippets of things for the audi- my audience to go away and think about Almost, I'm asking you to go a bit deeper than the awareness and communication yeah. mindset. What would they be? What would be three either <clears throat> ideas to think about or an exercise to do that people can just take away? Yeah. They've got to become very clear about what the team and they are there to do. And the three accelerators that I focus on, the words differentiate, delegate and design. And by that I mean you're leading a team, but it's still a group of individuals. And even though you want them all aligned, you have to work out what makes each of them tick. So you've got to differentiate them. You've got to delegate. Delegate is a whole skill set in itself. And, you know, it's then asking what's the delegation framework that people are using to get the best out of their team. And design means actually sitting down with that team member and designing their future to say, where do you want to go? What stretch opportunities can we create? How can we build out your capability? If you focus on those three, that team will become very clear and everyone starts moving in the same direction. And is there an element of what you're saying there that, yes, it's the team, but it's also having an understanding that it's individuals within that team. So you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to how you're building your team, which is what some organizations do. People get put into boxes and we're not robots to be put into boxes. Do you see 
that as an opportunity for businesses and leaders moving forward to be brave enough mm-hmm. to understand you know that differences and embrace the differences to bring out the best in those differences well it's like a, well it's like a good footy coach or a coach of any sort in sport they're not coaching a team to kick the football from one end to the other every player has got a particular strength that that co- good coaches actually understand and tap into that unleashing their brilliance in organisations, one of my biggest bugbears is there's so much untapped potential because you're right, everyone puts everyone in a box, which is their job description. They don't bother saying, well, tell us, what else have you done in your past and what are you good at? And so it is that differentiate piece, which is what can we untap in this person's mm. brilliance? What's the potential that we're overlooking? So we've talked about the team and how your work by helping that individual helps them become a better leader or a better manager and as a result of that unleashes the team's brilliance. What about for the individual? You know, at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about seeing so many individuals that are overwhelmed with the job that they've got to do, the impact that that has on their self-confidence and almost like the controlling means that, you know, it all ends up in this horrible, negative, yucky spiral. Through the work that you do, when, when you help these individuals unleash their brilliance, what do you see for them? What's the positive impact of the work that you do on that individual as a leader in themselves? The biggest, well, not the biggest benefit, one of the benefits is people start to see them outside of that team and they start being noticed for the results they're getting so that actually then just enhances their career prospects so that I talk about being purposeful which is confident and capable and once you're purposeful then you're going okay so now where so you're sort of stepping out of that area into perhaps a bigger role maybe it's the same role but that's been expanded but you tap into this and it's this memorable manager space you tap into this memorable manager space where people start to see you for the results you're doing what I think it's being more valued now, but what isn't often valued is those managers that actually nurtures teams to get it to get out their best for and they do it over and you see them do it over and over and over and over again. And I've got, you know, quite a few leaders in my experience that you see them go from a great team to a dysfunctional team. They make that team really positive. And they're the ones that go up the career, if they want to, go up the career, the curve quickly. So they get noticed, get promoted. Oh, and yeah. can I say, they get a bit of balance back as well. Yeah, because they're doing the you stuff know, they Life love. is a little easier. Mm. Yeah. God, don't we all just want a little bit of balance? We all need a little bit more balance. What I love about the term, one of the things that I'm, I've heard you mention a couple of times is that term memorable manager, memorable yeah. manager, someone that people, well, what's your definition of a memorable manager? Everyone's going to have a different memory of that manager, but they're the managers that see you. They're the managers. One of my memorable managers at a performance review told me I was quite junior and I didn't think I had a role to play in the team really or added any value. And he said, oh, no, you're the glue. You just bring this team together. And that really stuck with me because he could see that. So the memorable manager is the ones that see you for and tap into that untapped potential. And they're the ones that go, yeah, yeah, you've got this. You can do that. They give you that confidence Mm. to step up. Now, if the memorable manager has a memorable manager, that also accelerates their career as well. So I just love so much about that. So my, my, my question for you as we sort of wrap up this conversation, what makes you a memorable manager? What would you say are your awesome elements? What makes you a memorable manager? Calm, 
and listening. Mm. I do have a client and she threatens to blog about this, but she says, you know, Murray, I'll call you, damn you, Murray Burgess. Because we'll just have a conversation and I'm not even trying to coach her and I'll ask a question that then she has to go away and go, she's done it again. Now I have to think about this. And I can only ask that question because of the listening skills that I apply. Mm. And the wisdom that you bring. And it's that piece of seeing. Experience. Seeing somebody. You see somebody. If we could bring that, that manager back that said to you that you're the glue and let's imagine we like zoomed him in and he joined in on this meeting. Well, what would you say to him? I And I have said to him, he now manages a plantation oh, in wow. Fiji. So I know I thank him because he saw me for what I didn't see. And so, yeah, I thanked him for that because that was incredibly empowering. And I think, you know, for those of you listening in, the, the question I'd love to leave you all with is what do you all need to do to become more of a memorable manager? Don't you want to be a manager that other people remember like Mari remembers this manager? What do you need to change? What do you need to do more of? How can you become that person that people in 5, 10, 15 years remember for the impact that you had on their life and their career? Because I believe that all of us have that possibility. All of us have that in us to ensure that that every human being we come into contact with, we leave a positive imprint. And that, I think, is how we do create this ripple effect. And whether you're middle manager, first manager, leader, I think we forget about that. I think we forget about the fact that it isn't just the stuff we do. It is that how we make people feel about themselves, how we guide, how we coach, how we listen. And that point of how do we actually see people? Are we really seeing people or are we, you know, painting a picture of what we think they're like and what they should be like doing that job? Murray, I absolutely love your book. You know I do. I've shared it with many people. My book is well-eared and marked. For anybody that's wanting a copy, your book's called Level Up, How Managers Learn to Do Less and Be More. Who would you say this book is perfect for? And where can people grab a copy? It's perfect for the new manager. It's practical. It's got good tips in there. It's a quick read. You only have to apply a few things and it will change how they manage. It's available from my website, mariburgess.com forward slash shop or Amazon or Booktopia also have it. And if anyone wants, and I'm sure you can add this to the podcast, but I have a free two-chapter sample that people can also download. Yeah, I'll absolutely add that into the show notes. Mari, thank you so much for letting me tap into your experience, your knowledge, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've noticed. I want to thank you for the work that you do because I think all of us have experiences of bad managers and we have experiences of those memorable managers. And your work matters because there is so much change. There is so much uncertainty. There is so much confusion out there right now that I think it's up to all of us 
to step into that brilliance, to be able to lead and manage in as good a way as we can and a better way so that we can have that positive impact on the people around us so that things do change. So super excited about your book. If anybody wants a copy, check out the show notes. I'll put that in there. And thank you, Mari. I'll add in that chapter sample for people. And finally, where is the best place if people want to get in touch with you? Email me at mari at mariburgess.com. That's the easiest way. And again, I'll put that in the notes so that you get the spelling right. Mari, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you for sharing all those tips and tools and ideas and frameworks. It's an awesome book. Wish you lots and lots of luck with it. And I hope some of our listeners reach out and get in touch. Thank you so much, Mari. Thanks, Janine. Great to chat. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I hope you have new ideas on how to step into your own brilliance after listening today. For those of you who don't know, my own brilliance is helping businesswomen embrace their brilliance to achieve greater profits, align with their purpose and create greater impact through their business. I've helped thousands of businesswomen leverage their networks, build rock solid business plans and break through the glass ceiling to become seven figure business owners and beyond. If you're looking to take your business to the next level and have been feeling stuck or are frustrated that it's been taking forever, then shoot me a message today as I'd love to help you. You can email me directly at support at janinegarner.com.au or find me on any of my social media platforms listed in the show notes below. Until next time, have an absolutely fabulous day.